Saints can be seated. And uh, Tanner's giving me no chance to turn my mic on. He's praying fast on me these days. Thanks, buddy. I'm all discombobulated. So you guys just held on, talk amongst yourselves. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, I'm looking forward to being in God's Word with you today and uh, so thankful that you're here. I'm glad to have you. And so glad that God has brought you here today, that, uh, that he has called you uh, to be here by moving in you, and that you made a choice to be here today. And I want to just take a second and encourage you to keep on doing that. Keep on coming. Keep on um, letting the Lord uh, move in your heart, and, uh, and for you to keep on coming to church. Um, I want to encourage you in that. Um, no matter how busy you are or how tempted you are to stay home on a Sunday morning um, because of the busyness uh, of your life, and uh, we know that life is busy. Um, yes, everybody agree on that one? Life's busy? Yeah, okay. I thought so. Everyone would agree on that. And uh, if you just make a simple choice, though, week after week, um, it's very, very uh, 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 great in what the Lord will do. If you think about this, the cumulative effect of how God will use you week after week, month after month, year after year of coming to uh, God's church and hearing God's word will be profound. Your life will, will never be the same. God wants to use it. And uh, as you make that that choice every week, God will change your whole life. And so listen, sometimes I know that on Sunday morning, it's more like a crawl uh, to get here. And, um, and you wonder if you're going to even make it in those front doors to grab that first cup of coffee uh, before you're just going to pass out and, and everything is going to be over. Um, life is, is going to be finished. Um, and yet you get that cup of coffee, you make it to your seat and uh, God uses Sundays. And other times it's like a dead sprint. Like you're in here, you don't even know what the word fatigue means, right? You're ready to hear God's word and ready to worship, but either way, keep coming because God will use so much of, of his body, so much of this community, so much of his word, uh, so much of, of the, the worship um, and you singing back to him to change uh, your life. Um, I also want to take a second to, to thank uh, our, this mission team from being here. Can you guys give them a round of applause? Um, they're going to be spending. They're going to be spending a week with us. So get around them. Uh, I want to encourage you, even after service today, to get around them, talk with them, encourage them, pray for them, connect with them. Um, even if you want to find them this week, we have a whole schedule of where they will be uh, this week and, and how God will be using them to serve our church. So if you want to get around them, contact Connor. I hope everybody contacts Connor in this whole entire place and uh, and finds out where the mission team will be, so that um, so that. You you guys can go see them, and uh, Connor loves receiving tons of phone calls, okay? So if you uh, just give him a call, send him a bunch of texts, and say, hey, where's the mission team? I want to go find them. Um, but uh, I love I love the fact that these guys are here this week, and uh, even so much so as even maybe building some, some long-term relationships with people in our community and even in our church. I hope you guys do that, and I hope you guys build some long-term relationships uh, with them. And so team, I'm praying for you. I know our staff has been praying for you. I know God is going to use you guys to do eternal things this week, which um, is awesome that you're coming not to just uh, perform tasks that will that will be completed um, when you leave, but tasks that will go on into eternity, especially <coughs> as you labor to share the gospel with people. 
And uh, as you help us in regards of uh, building relationships with people in the community, getting the word out about Easter, about um, our church being here, um, I know you guys are going to also serve with our uh, children in, in some capacities and then also uh, provide a, a respite event um, for, um, for uh, families who foster here in the community. And so we're praying for you guys to do that. And I want you guys to be praying for this team uh, while they're here. Can we give them one r- last round of applause? And if you guys, if you guys don't know this, um, Matt Mofield, go ahead and stand up for just a second. The strapping young lad in the first row. He, um, Matt Mofield, if you guys have been to our membership class and have heard uh, Chad talk about the gentleman who, who kind of um, uh, helped uh, Chad see what it, what it would look like to follow Jesus um, and, uh, and understand who... Um, Maybe to, to watch a friend who, who really loved God and uh, went through even time of tragedy and uh, still trusted um, and, and had his faith in the Lord. Um, if you guys have heard that story, Chad and I kind of want to have one of, uh, each one of us have someone like that in our life. Uh, but Matt Mofield is, is that story. Matt, we tell, uh, Chad tells that story every time we have membership class about how God used you um, to help him come to know Jesus. So we praise God for you. Or else uh, we might not have Chad Wiles, uh, wherever he's at, uh, sitting here as one of your pastors. Um, and so today is a joyful day, and one of the greatest joys about today is that we get to recite the books of the Bible in order. Uh, we're looking forward to that. I know that's the highlight of your week. And uh, so this is what, uh, what we've been doing. We've been reciting the names of the books of the Bible in order by memory. <coughs> and we are up to Colossians so far. And so if you guys have been practicing, which I know you guys have, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to read the names of the books of the Bible first, even though I know that you guys don't need to do that for review, right? Like, we don't need to do that because you guys would already do it. You guys would be able to recite it off of, from memory, even if we didn't read it. But we're just going to do it for fun, okay? And uh, so we're going we're gonna memori- to recite this. We're memorizing God's Word to become familiar with the books in the Bible. And, uh, and so let's read them first, just from the screen, and uh, just for a review, and uh, then we'll recite cite them by memory, and then we'll add our books for this week. You ready? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, Matthew, Mark, John, Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Take a deep breath, all right? Good job, good job. All right, now here's a real test. Go ahead and take them away. You guys ready? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephyr, 
Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Give yourselves a round of applause. Good job, church. This is the most memorizing you've ever done in your whole life, and, uh, and I'm proud of you. So today, here's the deal. We're going to add five books, okay? Now, here's the saving grace with these five books. They all start with the letter T, okay? So say these. Ready? First and second Thessalonians, first and second Timothy, Titus. First and second Thessalonians, first and second Timothy, Titus. First and second Thessalonians, first and second Timothy, Titus. One more time. First and second Thessalonians, first and second Timothy, Titus. <coughs> Take him away. You ready? One more time. Include this, those, those last five books. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus. Good job, church. All right, we got a few, we got a few weeks left. <clears throat> Great job. And I pray that this is just one more piece of deepening your love for God's word um, and furthering your Bible literacy, uh, which is always what we want to do here. And maybe if we make you memorize the contents, you'll be interested as to what is its content. And, um, and so we're really, really excited for you guys to become Bible people. We always want you to be Bible people. Speaking of that, if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2 is where we are today. And uh, if you've been with us for any amount of time, you understand we've been walking through the book of Luke, and uh, we're passing through some very common, um, commonly known and understood narratives, and uh, <clears throat> mainly because they've been known throughout time and uh, in the, the Christmas season as a Christmas story. Um, but these are, uh, we're able to talk about these other than, um, at times other than Christmas, uh, because they're just... Um, the Bible, and it's the story of, of we find ourselves in is Jesus's birth and, and kind of the aftermath of that currently. Um, I hope you always bring your Bible with you because uh, that's what we do here. Um, we are really, really passionate about uh, walking through the text. That's why we'll have some outside the doors. If you don't have one, um, then you can grab one when you come in. Make sure to do that, and you can use it while you're here, and even if you don't have a Bible, bring it home with you. Um, we hope that when you come, you're eager and ready um, to see the scriptures, even if your heart may not be uh, fully there, that, that you know that that's what's best for you. We're going to walk through it. Um, we like to often say that, that we, I love when your eyes are more on the text than on me. And so um, that's how we go about things here, uh, that your eyes would be on the text more than they would be on me, that we would walk through the Bible. I want you to see what the Bible says and understand how to rightly divide it and to, to understand 
how to, to use it and see the treasures of God's word for yourself, right? And so that's why we walk, walk right through it. Um, uh, one thing that I'm, uh, I don't want to do is I don't want to um, use the Bible as like a, a launching pad, that, that we would read the text and then I would jump off into my sermon notes, right? And we would kind of leave this behind um, and then I would uh, encourage you through my notes um, of, of what, what God can do. Uh, instead, I want to just walk through what's, what's here. I, I want us to actually stay in this, not talk about the Bible, but talk through the Bible, okay? And so, um, and, and I hope that that, to you, God is going to use that because I, I know very clearly, even um, when I became a Christian at 21 years old, uh, I started growing and people started investing in me, but I almost felt like I had to hide the fact that I like, I don't really know what the Bible says. I don't know who these characters are, right? Everybody else seems to know who these characters are or what this means or, or how to rightly understand this. And I kind of felt like I, I hid for 10 years um, because I didn't understand any of it and I didn't know who these people were, right? And so, um, and so over the course of time, God helped me to understand it. And, um, and I know he will for you too, but I don't want you to feel like you have to hide. I want you to understand uh, what the Bible says and then more so understand how it applies to your life. So let's dive into Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. We're going to read through verse 20, and God's going to do some great work in us today. Verse 8, Luke chapter 2. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, and they were keeping watch over their flock by night. My daughter, uh, when she when she recites some of this from Luke chapter two, flock by night is like one word, okay? So she said they were keeping their watch over their flock by night. (laughs) So when I read it, I have to try not to say that intentionally, okay? So they were watching over their flock by night, and the the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear, And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste. (coughs) And they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherd told them. But Mary 
treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. What an unbelievable story, except believe it because it's true. And what we're gonna see today is the glorious worth of the gospel. The glorious worth of the gospel. That is what we're going to see today. And it's going to show, I want us to see the value, the worth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and how that gospel is carried to the ends of the earth because it is so valuable. And so we have two main points today. Two sections are in our text. That's it. And they're really just right on top of each other. Two main sections that point us to two very, very specific truths. And the first thing that we see in this passage is that the gospel is heaven's pearl. The gospel is heaven's pearl. The gospel is heaven's prize. The gospel is heaven's treasure. The gospel is heaven's great prize, great pearl, great treasure that has great worth. And we see this up in, 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 our, in our text through, verses four, through verse 14. 8 through 14 shows us this. Now let me tell you a little bit about the background before we actually start walking through this text line by line. And you can be ready for that, okay? is that up until this point, we have seen and understood in the Old Testament that there was going to come, becoming a redeemer, a, a Messiah, the anointed one, who was going to gather God's people back from their slavery, um, their slavery ultimately that was um, it, it, first of all in, in Egypt and then we see uh, through Assyria and Babylon and God makes these promises that he will not cast off his people forever. He would call them back to himself. But we see that that spoke to a larger picture, a larger picture of slavery to sin and, and, and estrangement um, t- to God, that you would be separated from God and that yet God was going to call back his people once and for all through this anointed one, through this Messiah. And so he's done it. He's doing it right now. But what's unique is that we've seen through the book of Luke thus far that this coming Messiah, the way in which he has come, has not but been what everyone has expected. Because everyone has expected this king to come and sit on his earthly throne, right, to, 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 to rule and to reign in the way of kingship right here, right now, and yet it's not happening like that. Uh, God first speaks to uh, a little old couple who's too old to have a baby, and they're going to have a boy named John who's going to prepare a way, right? And then to Mary, who's this young girl who's a virgin betrothed, and she's going to look, be looked down upon by all of society because she's going to about to be with child. And then we see um, this little old couple has this baby, and yet then we see this, this, little, um, this little girl, Mary, she has this child, and yet all of it is very anticlimactic. She ends up in a manger scene with her betrothed, where there's no room for her to be cared for on a journey to be counted for tax purposes. And so you would look at this storyline and say, okay, something's off here, right? Like we've made a U-turn, we've, we've veered off. This isn't the way in which all of this was supposed to happen. And yet God says, no, that's exactly how it's supposed to happen. And so what we see in this is up until this point, we could be 
deceived. Or, or they could be, maybe, or they could maybe wonder, or up until this point, we could kind of question, is this, is this what God was referring to when he said that he was going to do this mighty work to redeem his people? And so then what we see is in this passage, what God is mainly doing is he is pulling back the curtain of heaven. He's opening up the shutters just for a second. He's peeling back the drape. And he's saying, look, at look, look. Look at what's really going on. Like, let me show you what's actually happening in heaven because of my son's birth. And just in case you're wondering or in case you're questioning, let me show you what's really happening. And in this first portion, verses 8 through 14, that's all he's doing. He's peeling back the curtain for us so that we can see the worth of the gospel. He's going to put it back, and we're going to look at Jesus' life and sometimes see the glories of it and sometimes see the humanness of it um, exemplified. And then he'll pull it back once more for all of eternity at the end of time when Jesus returns. And so when we see this being pulled back, let's walk through it and understand that the gospel, the birth of Jesus Christ, his atoning work that was going to come is the treasure of heaven. There is nothing more valuable. This might look like a humble um, uh, distraught uh, circumstance, but it is not. Heaven is rejoicing at what is taking place here, and God is peeling back the curtain to show us it so that what we see is the glories and the worth of the gospel so that we would, would glory in it and we would consider it worthy and valuable and our treasure just as heaven does, okay? So that's our point. So let's walk through this, starting in verse eight, okay? Um, we're gonna walk through this section. So keep Keep your eyes on the text. You're going to understand how to, to walk through this as we do. We see in verse 8, I'm speaking from the ESV, in the same region, and in the same region it says, okay, so that's on purpose. What is the same region? Well, the same region, go back to verse 5 of chapter 2, and that what we see there is that they have come to a town of the city of David called what? Bethlehem, okay? And then verse 6, and while they were there, the time came for them to give birth. And so when it says in verse 8, the same region, it's referring to Bethlehem or the town that they were in when they were giving, when, when Mary gave birth. <clears throat> now that might seem insignificant, but it is profoundly significant. Why? Because we're going to talk in a little bit about shepherds, okay? Not in this point particularly, but later on in this passage, we're going to talk a lot about shepherds. And the fact that these shepherds were shepherding their flock in the same region surrounding Bethlehem tells us what kind of shepherds that they were. And probably what they were doing is they were shepherding the flock of sheep that was used for animal sacrifices in the temple, okay? So they were special special shepherds. Now, they were still from the class of shepherds, but any time these shepherds around the region of the temple, the city of David, were shepherding flock, it was usually to keep these flock for the animal sacrifices that would take place in the temple. So that's an important 
uh, idea that we see here. They're in the same region here um, in Bethlehem, so they're probably shepherds who are shepherding the flock for the um, sacrifice. And there were these shepherds, they were out in the field. They were out in the field. Um, and what they were doing is they were keeping over, keep, watch this, keeping watch over their flock by night. Now, What's uh, interesting here as we walk through this is that it's not really their flock. So shepherds usually didn't so much take care of their own as they did take care of sheep for a particular ruler, okay? So like shepherds didn't have much to call their own. They usually were like slaves in the sense of which they were corralling sheep who belonged to someone who was very wealthy. So these shepherds, this was not theirs, so it's, it's, it's not the fact that they possessed these sheep. Maybe as this, this was the sheep, these were the sheep in which they were, um, they were told to keep watch over, okay? So we're keeping walking through this, verse eight. They were keeping over, watch over this flock by night. Now, why does it tell us it was nighttime? And I'm not sure. Okay, I don't, I don't know, let's move on. Just kidding, um, I really don't know. But one thing that I was thinking as we were walking through this is like how a lot of times when the angels appear or when God does miraculous things from heaven, like when Jesus appeared to Saul on the road to Damascus and no one else could see what he saw. They heard it, but they couldn't see. And sometimes God just does this particular thing to a particular person um, or a particular set of people um, that's unique. And here, I think, shows us that they're alone. There's no one else out there. But also, when we see the idea of glory, which we're gonna see in just a second, one of the elements of glory is brightness. Bright. When you see God's glory, when he shows his glory, we can understand it very plainly as like light Brightness, and so if you want to like exemplify this brightness, what do you do? Do it at night, okay? And then we're gonna see the glory of the Lord very, very clearly. So they're out in the field, picture this, by night, by themselves, keeping watch over this flock, and an angel of the Lord, and I love how it tells us this because this angel didn't come on his own. Who did he come from? The Lord. So lest you think that he's coming on his own accord, like he's just bored up there in heaven, and he just said, hey, look, I'm gonna go bother these angels and scare them. I mean, these shepherds, and I'm gonna scare them, right? Um, that's not what happened. Um, God said, hey, look, I wanna send you to these shepherds. Keep following along, okay? Keep following along. We're looking at the text. This is what we gotta look at. And so they were sent. This angel was sent. Now, the angel there means messenger, okay? So he's a messenger who's being sent by God. He appears to them. He appears. So they can see, they can see this angel. Could you even imagine this? Could you even imagine? And they were filled with great, meaning a lot of fear. They're afraid, because this angel is big, and he's bad, and he's shiny. And yet, the angels said to them, because the glory, uh, let me go back up for a second. The angel appeared to them, and look at this. The glory of the Lord shone around them. 
It says them. So is the glory of the Lord shining around the angels? The angel? I don't know, but it says that the glory of the Lord was shining around them. There's only one angel at this point. So that's the shepherds. So can you imagine you're seeing the angel? He's coming out. It's nighttime. You guys are by yourself. You're tending the flock. It's not yours. And yet, here they are. And then there's a whole bunch of light that is surrounding you. Glory, divine, what we know about glory, it's the manifestation of the, and presentation of God's infinite majestic nature. So the, 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 the manifestation, so you can, the God's holiness, he's set apart, he's great, he's, he's beyond, he's unlike anything else, and, and, the, and his holiness is made manifest. You can see it, and, and so that's what's happening here. That's what glory means, something that they can visually see. The holiness of God is the intrinsic set-apartness of God, he is who he is, There's, he is unlike anyone else, and when it's seen, that's what glory is. It's made manifest, and it's usually conveyed to humanity as superlative brightness, like light that you can just see and that is, is all-encompassing, and so literally the splendor of the Lord blazed around them. So that's what's happening, and they're encompassed by the glory of the Lord. So the God in what's happening wants to show his glory. And it's shown around them and they were filled with great fear. But watch this, the angel said to them, fear not because I haven't come to hurt you. Listen, ready? The angel says, I haven't come to hurt you. I've come to do something else. What have I come to do? I've come to bring you news. I haven't come to hurt you, I've come to be a reporter. I've come to be a messenger. I've come to bring you news. Listen, so he says, I've come to bring you this news, but this isn't just any old news. Watch this, look at this. This is good news, the word that we get evangelism from, good news, right? This is good news, and it's not just good news, but it's good news of great joy. It's going to bring joy. It's going to bring joy, and it's not just for some people, it's going to be for all people. Now this is particularly speaking of all the people of Israel, but we understand because Israel received this first, but this would later go to all people in all of the world. And so when he speaks this, this is very particular because here's what I want you to do. I want you to flip over in your Bible to Isaiah chapter 40. Now usually I have these up on the screen, but I want you to, I want you to turn. I want you to, to, to be familiar with turning in your Bible. Turn over a couple pages to Isaiah chapter 40, starting in verse 9. Isaiah 40, verse 9, some of you guys got the iPhone or the iPad, so it's like, ha, I got you. Here we go, and, uh, and you're there. Okay, so Isaiah chapter 40, verse 9, you guys should know where it's at because you memorized where it's at. And we see in verse 9, you ready? Look at this. This is this, the description of how great God is, his glory being seen. And look at what it speaks of. Ready? Go on up to a mountain, O Zion, a high mountain, herald of good news. 
Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. So when they heard good news, it probably brought back to mind that when we hear good news, it speaks of how great God is. But not only how great God is, but how he's going to redeem his people. Because look at verse 10. Behold, the Lord God comes. He's coming. And his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, his recompense before him, and he will tend to his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. This speaks of God's power, God's might, and God's redemptive purposes when they heard this. And then it speaks of how big and how strong God is. Look at this, verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with its span and closed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in a scale in the hills in a balance. This speaks of how great God is. And it was speaking to how great God is in regards of redeeming his people. So go back to Luke chapter two. And when we see this, this is very timely. Because this good news of great joy for all people is going to be by a strong God who is mighty, who is not doing nothing, but instead is redeeming, listen, his people. This is what they're hearing. This is what they're hearing, but there's more. Stay with me. Look at this. For here's the reason why there's good news. There's great joy for all people. For unto you, Unto you is born this day in the city of David. The king's here. The king's here. He's strong. He's mighty. He's redeeming his people. This is the coming king that we spoke of, but he's not only the coming king, he's the coming Messiah, a savior. Look at this, ready? A savior. He's the king. He's the savior. He's the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. And not only that, but let's just say this once and for all, he's the Lord, literally Yahweh, he's God. So I'm bringing you good news of great joy for all people because the king has come, the savior has come, the Messiah has come, God has come. That's why we're rejoicing. And this is what heaven is showing. And after that, he speaks. Look at this. He says in verse 12, the angel, and this will be a sign for you. And if you're standing there at this moment and you're listening to the angel, I'm like, okay. Um, when he says, you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and living in a manger, I'm like, why, why are you telling me about a sign? Do you, you want me to go do something? Like, you're, you're scary and you're telling me that you, you want me to be part of this. Like, you're not just telling me this, because why are you telling me a sign unless you want me to go find what you're telling me has happened? And the angel says, that's exactly what I'm telling you to do, because look at this, ready? This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby, which you could find a baby in Bethlehem if you went. Second, you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloth. You could probably find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloth if you went. But let me tell you one more thing, he says. You're going to find this baby lying in a manger. This is going to be the, the telltale sign. Because if you go to Bethlehem and you find a baby who's in swaddling cloths, there's probably only one that's going to be lying in a manger. And that's going to be the sign that it's him. That's very simple and plain. He's just telling them how they're going to know who he is. 
And when he gets there, look at, or when he tells them that, then all of a sudden something even greater happens. Suddenly, out of nowhere, comes out with the angel, verse 13, a multitude, innumerable amount of heavenly host. And what is a host? It's resembling one of an army. So now you have this angel who is scary enough. The glory of the Lord is shining around them. And here comes the whole army. And they're, they're chanting something all in unison, all together. This army, this heavenly army is chanting something in unison. What are, they, what are they chanting? Here's what they're doing. They're praising God. And what are they saying? Glory to God. This particular act that we are celebrating is showing how great God is. It's showing how great God is. He's in the highest. There's no one like him. He has done this act. This is who has done it. Glory to God. And lest you think this is separate completely from you, there's also going to be on earth peace among the people with whom God is pleased. Literally what this is saying is among men of his good pleasure. So what they're saying is glory to God. The Savior's come, the Christ, the Messiah, the King, God to earth, glory to him, he did it. This shows how great he is. This sets him apart, and this is going to be for the people, and for these people, they will be brought back into God's pleasure. God's, God will accept them. They will be seen by God as blameless. They will be restored back into his presence in right standing, and because of that, they will be his pleasure. He will find joy in him. They will make them happy because there will be no sin. They will make him happy. There will be no sin, and, and these people, there was gonna, there's going to be a peace. There's going to be a peace between them and God because of what just took place, which is this Savior coming. And so we see this profound story underneath the rug, behind the curtain, and here's what we see in this. All, to summarize, is that the birth of Jesus Christ and the enduring work that he was gonna be performing and living perfectly, dying willingly, rising victoriously, and reigning eternally, because this is all in view of what they're talking about, the birth of Jesus Christ, and the enduring work that he was going to perform in living perfectly, dying willingly, rising victoriously, and reigning eternally is the treasure of heaven. It's the treasure of heaven. This is what the angels are rejoicing at. This is what God is showing his glory for. This is why he sent the angel and the whole army of angels. This is the treasure of heaven. There is nothing more valuable to heaven than the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the same should be true for us. As Christians, I think we often long for something that's a greater experience. We long for experiences of God. We long for next steps. 
We long for supernatural experiences with God. We long for what he's gonna provide for our future. We want God's movement towards something great. We want some great success. And listen, all of that is fine and God does it. But we would do well to look at what heaven rejoices in most for us to understand what we should rejoice in most. And it's not God doing particular work, specific work for our future and our future success. It's the gospel. God has done it already. There's not anything else to look to or anything else to experience that would be something great. Now God does great things continually, but we should rejoice in what the angels are rejoicing in, what the glory of God is backing, and that's the gospel. He's done it. He sent his son to die for your sins. He's brought God to earth, the Christ, the Messiah, the Lord, God, the Savior, the King. He's come, and he's completed his work, and that should be your treasure. That's what the angels rejoice in most. That's what heaven rejoices in most, and that's how God shows his glory. And so the question would be good for us to ask is, have I lost have I lost my love for the gospel? Am I looking towards something greater? Do I want God to do something quote unquote greater? Or is the gospel still sweet to me? Is it my treasure that Jesus came, that he died for me? Is that the centerpiece of my life? Is that what I love most? Is that what's great and surprising every morning and every day that I look to for my greatest joy and to see God's greatest glory? Is it the gospel? That's what the angels are showing us here and that's how we should live our lives. You know, a lot of time on the weekends and just confess with my with my family, with my kids. I'm like, all right, it's the weekend. Let's go do something awesome, right? Like, let's, come on, Casey, let's talk about it. And she's like, well, we could, you know, and she's, you, she's not, she's not as, uh, as geared up as I am, right? My, my gears are turning and I'm like, let's go find something to do. Let's do something unique. Let's do something that we haven't done. Let's take them here, right? And, uh, and, then, and then I'll begin to get frustrated because we can't think of any ideas, right? And I'm like, all right, now it's been like an hour. We're still at home, right? And I'm like, great. You know, we just wasted a bunch of time. And then I'll look around, and I'll see my kids playing and having a great time and loving each other. And I'll say, I already got what I'm looking for. We already got it. And I think sometimes we, we play that role as Christians. We look around. And we want to see God doing something great. We wonder what he's going to do in our future. And then you look to the gospel and you say, I already got it. I got Jesus. He's my treasure. He's the one. And so is the gospel your, per your pearl, your prize, your treasure? This is what heaven rejoices in most. The second thing that we're going to see in our passage, and to close us out, <clears throat> is a great stark contrast because we see heaven's pearl 
given to earth's peasants. What's crazy is you see earth's, heaven's pearl given to earthly peasants. The second thing that we see in our passage is that the shepherds are heaven's couriers. They're the ones who carry this. They're the ones who bring this forward. They're the ones who carry this pearl, this message, this prize, this treasure onto the world. Isn't it profound that God first displays this great uh, work that he has done to who? Shepherds? Yes, it is, and I'm gonna tell you why. Because as we read this, I want you to understand a few things first, is that shepherds are in a particular class, a low class. They have a bad reputation. Okay, they just do. Like they have a really, like, this is just what it is. They have a bad reputation. They're in a low class. By the nature of their calling, listen, ready? By the nature of their calling, they were usually unable to perform ceremonial uh, uh, law, uh, obs- observe ceremonial laws. So in which the Jews um, so greatly valued, the religious people so greatly valued, which was carrying out the ceremonial laws, because of the nature of their work, they couldn't keep themselves clean. They couldn't continue to observe the ceremonial laws. They were looked down upon by society. They were in a low class. They had a bad reputation. And more regrettably, they often confused things that were other people's as being theirs. Or we'll just say they stole a lot. They were thieves. They had unreliable timing. They were not allowed to give testimonies in the law courts. Okay, so we know that for sure. Shepherds were not allowed to give a testimony in the court of law because they were unreliable. They were liars. They were low class. No one trusted them. They were unclean. They couldn't keep the law. But these are the people that God chose to give this pearl to first. It's a wonderful thing that the story of this should tell us that the first announcement of God came to some shepherds. Simple men of the fields that God's message came to first. Heaven's most valuable prize given to these men now these, by all likelihood, were special shepherds because, again, they were in the region of the temple, and so they were usually charged with keeping the unblemished lamb, and they were um, charged with, with keeping them so that they could be offered for a sacrifice to supply the perfect offering at the temple, and the temple authorities had their own private sheep and flock, and a pasture nearby, and this is probably what the shepherds were, the type of sheep that the shepherds were overseeing. So it is also a lovely thing that the shepherds who look after the temple lambs were the first ones to see and understand the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's why it's cool that it tells us in the same region. But I want us to understand something very particular. These were shepherds nonetheless. God could have shown his message to kings and he chose shepherds. Let's look at this briefly. When the angels went away, verse 15. So the angels, they go like, what are you leaving us with here? Like we feel, we feel like we're in a bad place now. We just saw a bunch of angels. Now it's dark again. 
And they went out from there into heaven, the angels. And so the shepherds, verse 15, they're looking at each other probably, and they said to one another, what else are we going to do? Let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So remember, he gave them a sign. And verse 16, and they went with haste. They didn't wait. They didn't delay. When they saw and when they heard the message of the Messiah, they ran to see the Messiah. And I want to encourage you as a side note, if you understand the message of the gospel for the first time, maybe today or when it clicks, don't wait. Don't be hesitant. Run to the Messiah. See him and come to know him with haste. And they found these shepherds, listen, they found Mary, verse 16, and Joseph, and what does it tell us? And the baby, it doesn't tell us about his swaddling claws, it doesn't tell us about anything else but that he was lying in a what? Manger, so that's the sign. They found him, and when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning the child. What's, what's saying? The saying that he's Christ, he's the Lord, he's the Savior, he's the King, he's the coming Messiah, he's the anointed one, he's the good news, he's the one bringing great joy to all people. This is him, and so the people who heard it because they gave the testimony that the angels had said to them, verse 8, 18, all who heard it, they wondered at what the sh shepherds were telling them. Now that's uh, peculiar because we don't know what that necessarily means, if they're wondering in great thought or if they're actually questioning, but we know that it's something different than what Mary was doing. How do we know that? Well, look at verse 19. It says, but Mary... And so we know that Mary was doing something decisively different than what the shepherds were doing. The shepherds and all the people who heard it, they wondered, but Mary, she treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. She didn't probably, it's probably speaking of them being all vocal about it, and Mary didn't say a word. She's just pondering, thinking treasuring up heaven's treasure, heaven's pearl in her heart. I used to pray this, I've told you this before, and I still do, that's what I pray over my daughter, that this is what her response would be to God's word. And I pray over my sons too, but just this rings a bell because the girl Mary, and I was thinking of my daughter, and I just, I want her to be one who treasures up God's word in her heart, ponders it all day long. It'd be like simmering in her mind and her heart all day. And so this is what Mary's doing. Mary's treasuring up these things. They've all told, they've all wondered, they've all questioned, and Mary is pondering them in her heart. And then after all of this, verse 20, this isn't not left without the shepherds being captivated by it. Verse 20, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard from the angels, from the people who were there, and all that they had seen, from seeing the angels and seeing the Messiah who was lying in a manger, just as it had been told to them. End it. And so what we see here in this picture is the picture of the shepherds carrying the message. The picture of them telling the people. The picture of worship taking place as a result, which is, by the way, what happens when you carry the message of the gospel. Worship happens. But I want us to catch this. Listen, ready? 
Heaven's most valuable prize is given to and carried through the lowliest of men. The message of surpassing worth, the news that angels sing about unending, the greatest work of God Almighty who does a plethora of great works is proclaimed to and possessed by and preserved through the poorest of kind. In fact, these shepherds were the ones who were of, in a class by themselves of lowliest, untrusted, not clean, not able to keep the law them, themselves, looked down upon by society. They didn't take care of what they needed to. They were considered thieves and liars. They had a bad reputation and they were of insignificant worth. But God chose these. They were actually the perfect ones to carry the message. They were humble. They didn't have societal position to trust in. Listen, it's perfect. These are the perfect ones. They don't have their societal position to trust in. They're dirty. They don't have their own cleanliness to trust in. They're mistreated. They don't have their friendships and their relationships to to trust in. They're inconsistent. They don't have their own greatness to trust in. They're unworthy. They don't have their own worthiness to trust in. And the message, because of all that, was a privilege, not a point of pride. They were perfect candidates because they knew how unworthy they truly were to be agents for the Most High God. They were worshipers. They were glorifiers. They were praisers. They were hearers. They were seers. They were receivers. They were proclaimers. That's it. Of the greatest news of all time, the prized treasure of heaven, the pearl of heaven, gladly given to the peasants of earth. And we should see that God chooses the lowly of kind to carry this message forth. And the same is true for us. Listen, I don't know what you've been through or how unworthy you feel to be used by God. I don't know what your past sin struggles have been in the season that's been longer than you've wanted it to be or how you can't seem to figure out how to live rightly for God or get your act together or maybe how you look around at other people and think, man, they are so much more spiritual than I am. I just, I can't ever get there and I never will get there. How could God ever use someone like me? And I wanna tell you that that's a trick from, from Satan because God chose 12 dumb fishermen (laughs) and a group of dirty shepherds as his choice to carry the gospel message forth to the ends of the earth. He uses the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. And so I want to tell you, if you're in a place in which you have been believing that God can't use you, I want you to trust in him and not yourself. His righteousness, not your own. His work, his greatness, not your own. I want you to depend on him 
Not look to your own sufficiency. And allow God to use you to carry this treasure forward to tell everybody in your world of how great God is because he sent his son to earth. That people would worship in response. I'm so glad that God looks at me and chooses me based upon his own love, not because of my worthiness. To bring this message forth. And I want to depend on him. I want to depend on him and his righteousness to be used by him so that Satan doesn't render me ineffective for my life because I don't feel like I can get there. And I don't want you to trust, I don't want you to trust in earthly accomplishments in order to be used by God. God wants to use you to carry the message of the gospel forward. And so as we close today, what we see in our passage are two main things. The first is that the gospel is heaven's pearl. Don't look to something greater. Work on treasuring the gospel as heaven does. And secondly, that the shepherds are heaven's couriers. Don't be discouraged if your life isn't where you want it to be yet. Keep looking to God, but in the midst of it, don't be ineffective. Don't be paralyzed, don't be stagnant. Allow God to use you by bringing forth the message of the gospel to the people around you. He, used the, he uses the lowliest of kinds to do his work. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we love your word. It tells us things that we can't come up with on our own. I pray, God, that you would use this message in our lives, that we would fall in love with the gospel again, that we would treasure it with all of our hearts, that we would see the gospel as the greatest thing that we could ever possess. If all we ever get is you, we have it all. Help us to be convinced. Help us to not go about our days using you, God, to try to seek something greater. But let us come to you in praise and worship for what heaven praises you over, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you, God, that you send your son to earth. Glory to you, God, in the highest. And peace to all your people with which you are, who with you are pleased. God, I pray that we would be a people who don't look to our own accomplishments or strength to carry your message forth, but we would be resolved to be the people of lowliest kind who know nothing but Christ and him crucified and to be used by you to the day that we die to share your message with the world. We thank you. We thank you that you have chosen a poor and powerless people to carry your message forth. In Jesus' name, amen.